There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can't bloody go wrong unless you're Danae and you really hate it. It honestly it looks is a and feels like I've pissed myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. Welcome to Dungeon Deep Dive. Um, today we're going to be looking at brewing. We're going to look at alcohol in your tabletop RPGs and creative writing. A little bit about us. My name's Tully Grimley. To my left. My name's Danae Bags, and I don't think I've ever been drunk in my life so my input will be very interesting. And to my right. Uh, and I am known to most as Lachlan Hoy. And that's it. Um, you can catch <laughs> us on our socials uh, at, at Dungeon Deep Dive or you can email us at deepdivetnc if you have anything that you would like us to look into, any feedback about what we've put out into the world, or if you've used any of our uh, content in your uh, worlds, we'd love to hear back from you. If you've got any suggestions or want to share what you've done, we would love to see that. Yeah, really just anything you want to say. We're open to it. Let's chat. Hit us up. Hit us up. So Tully's been very kind this episode and he's brought along some nice bottles of Manuka honey bee mead. Yes. Which will be an interesting experience, I feel, because last month I was road tripping around the UK and at a particular medieval banquet I tried mead, uh, one sip, and I almost died. So So this will be a fun experience. So this will be yeah. fun. I'm ready, honestly. Because yeah. um, we figured none of us have, well, two of us haven't tried mead and one of us nearly died, so why not do it again? Exactly. Any near-death experience is a good experience, I feel. At the very least, we'll become closer as friends. In the ER. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bonding zone. Exactly. Uh, Now, Danae, do you want to take us away with some of the history of brewing? Not only will I take you away, I'll take you back. (gasps) (gasps) So, look, I'll just start off by saying that humanity is lit and enjoys getting lit because... Evidence exists of beer and other alcoholic beverages as far back as ancient Egypt, as far back as the pre-dynastic era of ancient Egypt that we're talking about, like 5,500 BC. Wow. So So what you're saying is the human history is the history of getting lit. Yes. God, we've we've just been like cool as hell from day one, huh? (laughs) Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Good Uh, on us. Yeah. Uh, so the Egyptians probably invented beer. At least that's what the Greeks say. And like, who would willingly admit that they like didn't invent beer? Mm. You, you know what I mean. That's fair. So, uh, the reason beer was so popular and brewing everything, you know, drinking everything but water was so popular, was the fact that sewage systems weren't a big thing for a long time. 
Ooh. More on that in an upcoming episode on sewerage systems. Prepare yeah, we should to get down and get dirty. We should do that at some point. A hundred percent. So water basically equaled disease and death at that point. So well, we still need to drink. What do we do? We invent a new form of water. A so new form of a water. A new form of water. So if you had grapevines, you could press the liquid out, chuck it in a barrel for a while. Voila. Is a wine. Uh, or if you don't have grapes, do you have barley or other grains? Well, you can ferment them to create beer. So we think that beer was probably an accident uh, when germinated grain began to spoil. But, you know, the Egyptians noticed that and they, they weren't dummies. No, they weren't. They weren't stupid. They were mummies. Sometimes. Oh, God. <laughs> How does the, the cast member who hates puns the most make the best ones? I don't know. And the most frequent. Mm. How am I still alive when I hate being alive so much? That's a good question. It's Yikes. a continual mystery. Um, so now More on that in a later episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funeral rites. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you can all attend mine. The theme song will be Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead. Uh, so, so, right, so now beer is everyone's drink, right? Everyone's yep. drinking it from pharaoh to slave. It, it, it is water. It is the people's drink. It's the people's drink for the people by the people. We are the people. Meanwhile, uh, the Mesopotamians down in their valley were also enjoying their beers and they might even have been like the OG creators of OC beer much earlier than the Egyptians, but they didn't bother to write anything down. So oh. that's their fault, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't invented a system of writing, who are you? Exactly. Put your signature on things. Gosh, demand payment for your art. Copyright law is good. Exactly. Uh, so we have found pictures inscribed into walls of people drinking beer in Mesopotamia through straws because, as I said, humanity lit <laughs> <laughs> uh, all together. So it's sort of assumed that drinking was becoming a social event or even a sign of, of a, a good time. Um, the ancient Greeks were known to have had some of these, you know, good times TM with their wine. Uh, they are classy mofos. They upgraded from beer. Oh, absolutely. Uh, they even worshipped, you know, a, a god of wine and drunkenness and revelry, Dionysius. Yeah. And then the, ado- the cool Romans... Bloke. Cool bloke. yeah. The Romans adopted that god and then renamed him Bacchus because, you know, they too enjoyed a good little tipple. Uh, a bit of sesh. Yeah, a bit of sesh. Uh, and then through the whole Middle Ages, beer stayed as one of the main diet staples, you know. Uh, beer in particular was cheaper than wine and other non-water drinks. So basically, if you were lower class, uh, you'd have beer with every meal. If you were more well-to-do, you would have wine and other drinks along with your beer as your staple. Oh, so the beer is constant, regardless of status. Constant, yeah. Good. And then if you were high status, then you'd also drink wine. Supplement with wine and other drinks, yes. So basically, until now, everyone had brewed their own beer. Because division of labour wasn't that far advanced yet. Uh, so the question does remain, when did breweries actually begin as a concept, as a business? Uh, and it was actually from monks. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I mean, it's not really often you think of monks getting drunk, but yeah. they were quite fine to get other people drunk. So monks built the first breweries as kind of like the pioneer of, of hotels. Or in keeps, I guess. Ah, so it was more of a like a hospitality thing than it, than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so they used to provide you know shelter, food, and 
well, not water, but beer to pilgrims and other travellers. And then that developed from there into the whole hotel and innkeep business that we have today. Whoa, what? That's that's yeah. crazy. Monks were not only lit, but they were businessmen, all right? Did they have any, like, specific rules about getting, like, high on your own supply? Were the, were the monks also super lit, or were they just... I mean, if it's safer than water, then probably. Yeah, like, everyone was buzzed 24-7, I imagine. Yeah, I think people... We're just you would just absolutely get such a tolerance constantly. to it. I mean, I would love to think that everyone was just trash constantly. Ooh, actually, that would really explain like why history is so messed up. Yeah, just everyone was drunk. Everyone's just always. constantly drunk. A lot of things make a, make a lot of sense when you consider the lack of regulations of intoxicating <laughs> substances in history. Hundred mm. um, percent. If you're interested, though, there's actually still uh, there's still a continually operating brewery. That was established by monks uh, in Bavaria in Germany. It is the I will not pronounce this correctly. The Heinz Stefan Brewery. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds legit, right? Yep. Something like that. It was officially established in like a thousand and forty, and the monastery there began brewing beer like much earlier, like we're talking in like the late seven hundreds, because there was a hop garden in the vicinity. So. Why not? I mean, there you go. what like else are you going to do? It's the only commercial thing you can do with hops. Absolutely. So with when it, sewage systems began to advance, people were like, oh, hey, water's, you know, not that bad. I don't really know why they chose to go back to water instead of being like fucking buzzed 24-7, but <laughs> they did. Cause it might be a little cheaper, I suppose. Humanity stopped being lit the day that sewage systems advanced. Yeah, the, the thing that's not normally stopping me from drinking water the, th- the reason that i'm drinking alcohol isn't typically just because the water is going to give me cholera <laughs> like yeah. there's a little bit more to it than that <laughs> yeah 100%. that's that's fair like you th- they get that they still had a choice right yeah yeah i think from there on alcohol just sort of started to be seen as the social treat or form of entertainment it is today rather than yeah. Oh, well, you better drink this. You're going to drink this or you'll die of or cholera. Die. The beginning of humanity's fall from grace. Exactly. <laughs> the moment we stopped getting lit. <laughs> <laughs> so the comment I guess I want to make from this is the existence of certain types of alcohol in your campaign or story really implies the existence of a lot of other things because – Remembering that everything's interdependent, right? Nothing exists in a vacuum. So does the barkeep in your tavern suggest a nice mead to a player? Well, you know, if it's a honey mead, then you're going to need honey. So now bees or something similar a thing as is a method of harvesting honey. So this is just like one small example of how interconnected everything is and something as simple as being offered a particular type of alcohol in your tavern could lead to something much more sinister, much more intricate or just much more interconnected than you ever thought possible. Yeah. Well, I suppose if um, the hotel business, if the whole hospitality business really started off with the starting of breweries, then if you have large taverns and hotels and big establishments, they're likely to be breweries, aren't they? So if you've got a big tavern in your town, then likely they've got a specialty brew. Yeah, and that's sort of how taverns originally and and in keeps hotels became well known and reputed was oh well, they have this type of mead. Yeah, it would be like specialty drinks and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The house special as it were. And the and the good thing about alcohol I think is that it's fairly consistent. 
in terms of at least the bases that you use for specific drinks. So at the end mm. of the day, if your tavern sells vodka and wine and beer and mead, then those are always going to be made with the same sort of base ingredients. So the things that you need to work out to explain their existence in the world kind of then fall into place yeah. based on that. Because like someone brew, someone distilling vodka is always going to need access to potatoes. Well, with that being said, though, you will get your local varieties, which is here where I'm going to say that we should open up our mead because I'm going to start talking about different varieties of mead that you can find around the place. Ooh. Right. Guys, I don't think I've ever successfully opened a... <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. It's tougher to do in midair with it, trying not to get mead on the Guys. microphone. Um, so I'm just not going to do it by the microphone. Okay. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Beautiful. Oh, it really smells like alcohol. Okay, so here we are for the first try. Uh, I've never had mead before. I know Lachlan's in the same boat. Oh, I don't like alcohol, And uh, Danae, you <laughs> nearly died last time, yeah? Yeah. Even, oh, even the smell brings back memories. Bottoms up. Okay. That makes me want to die a lot less than the other one. Oh, no, the aftertaste hit me. <laughs> I really like that. I really like that. It's, it's actually... A lot less sweet than I expected. <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, you know when you have those really crisp apple ciders? It's exactly uh, like, like very dry apple, apple ciders. Cider. Yeah, but instead of having like Ugh. a slight kind of, that like slight sweetness from the apple, it's that kind of slight like honey sweetness. It's quite nice. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you uh, to Bee Mead, who are an Australian company. Uh, this is their original sparkling mead with Manuka honey. Uh, it's one that I just picked up at the, the local bottle shop. It's um, uh, 1.2 standard drinks, a bottle, 4.5%. Can't bloody go wrong. And uh, Unless you're Danae and you really hate it. Yeah. yeah I mean... She's struggling. Um, I'm going to see how I go. <laughs> she's, she's struggling a lot it's more. It's just... It's, it's a lot better than anything I've tasted before, actually. But it's just... I can just taste the alcohol. Yeah. This is more for... If, if anyone at Bee Mead Manuka Honey Distilleries is listening or... Then it's not I mean, you, it's me, honey. Yeah, this is definitely more... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, the honey does mask the um, the alcohol. It's getting better the more I sip it. That's a really refreshing drink. I'm, I would love to just sit on the porch on a hot day with a cold one of these. I wonder if this soothes your throat because honey. Maybe. Actually, oh, interesting. Well, actually, here's, <gasps> here's something fun. If we look into various different types of local mead that you can actually find around the world, um, there was one called uh, methaglin, I think it is, uh, which was a traditional mead with herbs and spices added. Uh, So often you would have ginger, uh, ginger, tea, orange peel, nutmeg, coriander, cinnamon, cloves, vanilla, all sorts of stuff. Um, And it was actually, the name actually comes uh, from um, methaglin, which is a compound of the words for healing and liquor. So this... (laughs) This flavorful mead was called Healing Liquor, which is actually a really fun idea to, to pull into your campaign, I think. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I, I'm assuming at some point we'll do an episode on it, but it's just like another one of those examples of how wacky things really did get in the Middle Ages RE medicine. Yeah. The heroic era of medicine is a, a fun thing to look into. We should do a podcast on it at some point. I feel we like should absolutely do that. The Middle Ages is really just humanity as a whole looking at like the plethora of, of advancement research they made going, mm. let's chuck this out. 
check that out. Let's see what we can come up with. <laughs> you know, they all got got buzzed one night, and they were like, "All right, here's how medicine's gonna work now." Um, yeah, but um, as far as varieties of mead that you can see around the place, there are all sorts. Um, any everywhere from you know regular honey mead um, to there's versions with maple syrup. There was blue mead, which is a type of mead with fungal spores added that turned it blue. Absolutely. Um, there's versions with elderberries and black. Uh, blackberries. There's one here, um, capsicumel, which is flavoured with chilli peppers. Um, it's just amazing. Anything you could add to a meat, it has been done and there's a name for it. Wait, back it up, back up. I can get elderflower mead. I yes, I Swedish would, elderflower mead. I would try that. I'm legitimately... I'm a fancy bitch. Yeah? Well, I like co- cocktails like the only thing I can drink, right? Because ah. they don't taste like alcohol at the end of it. And elderflower's really nice. So you and elderflower are buds. That one you can handle. Oh, yeah. I really want to make chili mead. I've been meaning to try making it. Apparently, it's super easy to make on your own. Or anyway, you, make, that, yeah. you make mead now. I want to. I've been meaning to. Okay. Um, but as far as the, the processes go, um, mead is going to be one of the simplest ones that you can explain because the process really is um, heat up your mead. and So heat up your honey, heat up your water, um, Put them together, let it cool a bit, add your yeast, and then sit it for a couple of weeks. Ladies, never forget to add your yeast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, and that's basically it for me, is that's what you do. Um, you can add your flavourings before or after, um, but pretty much that's the, the bulk of it because it's just so much sugar. Um, that's all you really need to do. And if you heat it up after fermentation, that'll help it bottle a little better. But that's mead. In a nutshell, um, cider is very similar. Um, it's very easy to uh, produce a basic cider. Um, you basically get your apples, you break them up and put them in sacks, you squeeze the sacks in a, a press, and the juice that comes out is something called um, called a must. Ooh. Yeah, this is similar to winemaking. It'll uh, that, that term will appear again in winemaking. Um, but the must is then something that you. Uh, let ferment. Um, a lot of the time in the natural yeasts that happen on al- on apples, which is what early ciders were made with, um, but you can actually add beer yeast as well. Um, a, that can make it a little bit of a crisper, sweeter uh, flavour. And one thing to bear in mind with cider is you tend to, to ferment it between 4 and 16 degrees Celsius. So it's actually brewed quite cold. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the temperatures for brewing um, some beers uh, for cider, they're actually a lot colder than you would expect. Guys, I'm really wet. <laughs> not in a good way. Um, because this is not a visual medium, nobody, <laughs> nobody witnessed Danae pouring oh, the mead into higher. her drinking, drinking horn and spilling it all over herself. I didn't realise <laughs> it would be so frothy. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought a carbonated drink would bubble? I'm not used uh, to this, guys. Treat me gently. <laughs> I'm just trying to be cool with my drinking horn. I really do wish that the listeners could be here and just watch as they listen. Just watch Danae try to work out how to drink me. <laughs> <laughs> it honestly it looks and feels like I pissed myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. Uh, oh, dear. Um. Now, I've got a ton of notes on how to make different kinds of beers and different kinds of wine, but I'm actually just going to condense this down to the very basics because for the most part, your beers are going to be a product of what's growing around and where you are. 
Um, so if you do want to have a look into the specific types of wine or beer that you can make, there's plenty of resources online. Um, but I would start from that whole local av- availability idea of what is around uh, to make your liquor out of and then go from there. Um, but yeah, as far as um, beer goes, um, old beer is different to what we would know now. What we know now is very clarified and very specifically brewed. Um, back in days of yore, it was your, you'd grab your starch, whether that be uh, grains, mostly grains, but sometimes it was wheat, rice, oats, rye, corn, anything that has some starch to it. Um, they'd break that up. So they say they'd wet it a little bit, let it germinate for a couple of days so that it starts to grow, and then they'd crush it so that you can get to the inside of that seed, spill, swim it around in some water and heat it up. Um, that started to get it to turn into sugars, um, to turn into saccharides. Uh, so that's a process called mashing. Then you'd take it to your copper where it's boiled in with the hops and the flavour and... That's where you boil it to reduce all the enzymic the, the enzymes working, so it stops making sugars. Um, they move it to the whirlpool to settle, and then that's when you cool it and let it ferment. So the fermentation, um, there's two main types that we see these days, and then there's the old type. So you get uh, warm fermentation, which is known as top cropping. That happens between 15 and 20 degrees, but sometimes as high as 25 and 29. This is all in Celsius, by the way. That means all the foam rises to the top and you tend to get uh, things like ales. They happen real quickly. It takes about three weeks to brew a beer with top cropping. You can go do cool fermentation or bottom cropping, which has to be quite cold. Uh, so it's about 10 degrees. And then after that, you actually bring it to near freezing. So that's what's called lagering. So if you get a lager these days, that's oh. actually been kept at near freezing. Funnily enough, the, the nicest beers to be drinking in, a hot, in hot weather are going to be fermented best in really cold climates. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. Um, and then there's... Which presents obvious issues of temperature control in a... In a you know, pre-electricity environment. Yeah. Um, so unless you've got you know, some sort of magic at work, you're going to end up with um, lagers in cold environments and ales in warmer environments. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, and then there's what's called spontaneous uh, fermentation, which is uh, things called lambic beers. And that's all just happening at room temperature um, with no added yeast. It's just the yeast that was um, – it's either the um, bacteria from the barrels that it was stored in or yeast that was found uh, in the, the, on the grain beforehand. Mm. Happened to a friend of mine once. Sp- spontaneously fermented. <laughs> tragic. Really tragic. Jeez. We told them not to stay in that barrel, but, I mean, they just never listen. They just never listen. So were the beers back then really thick? (laughs) As opposed to now? Yes. Yes, they were taking your question at face value. Um, Like how many C's thick were they? I'm leaving. (laughs) I I quit. I quit the podcast, second episode. (laughs) That's it. Bye, Tully. Um. I thought you were leaving. Yes. Uh, I'm back because I've got to tell everyone about wine. Well, this podcast was going to degenerate quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so then the other one that you see a lot around the place is wine. Um, Wine has cropped up in so many different places historically. Um, And really all it needs is grapes. That's all that you need. Um, The difference between white wine and red wine is how you treat it at the beginning. Um, 
Wait, it's not color of grapes? No, no. All it's always what? with the same. Like, it can all be with the same grapes. I mean, some grapes are different colors, but it's, wait. What do you so mean? You, how you treat it, like kindly or cruelly? So basically, uh, hit them a little. You bit. will always, you know, pick them. Yeah, so there's there's a couple of different steps. The first one's picking, obviously. So you get get all your um, grapes together. If you're making a white wine, you'll actually want to keep some of the stems on. Um, if you're making a red wine, you'll try and take them out as much as possible. Of course. Um, that's where the white's scored. <laughs> <laughs> so, that just makes sense. Um, it's just grape 101. That's where the white Shut is up. scored. <laughs> um, and yeah, anyway, so then what you'll do is a step called crushing. Now, you don't actually always crush your grapes. In fact, with white wines, you'll tend not to at all. And for rosés, you'll crush them, um, but you'll press them very quickly afterwards. Um the reason for this is when you crush it, that lets the juices mingle with the outsides of the skins. And the more that the juice mingles with the skins, um, the more of the tannins seep into it. So you will actually get red wine. And um, here's, here's that fun word again, red must um, out of crushed grapes. And if you just press your, your grapes, you'll end up with white wine. Huh. Yeah. Food of gas. Um, I mean, you do use these days different grapes for white and reds just because of the different flavours that you're trying to get from them. Um, oh, that's true because the colour wouldn't actually... If the colour can be attributed to any grape, then I guess the colour wouldn't actually affect flavour. Yeah. It, it would well, just be the type of grapes that affected flavour. Well, well the I mean, obviously... Does, like, the more tannins that get into it. Yeah. Um, but th- that's why... Um, so, for white wines, you leave the stems on because it's when you crush... When you press the grapes, it lets the juice flow through without breaking the um, without breaking the skins as much. Of course, um, really interestingly, and um, you'll take them out in red wines because you do first before you press them um, a primary fermentation, which is basically just letting it ferment a little bit with the natural um, yeasts on the skin, which is the dry bit on the skins of your grapes. Oh. Um, You'll let it ferment a little bit with the skins. It gives it its red, it, its red colour and a lot of the tannins. Oh, so red wine is just made from grapes that you let get a little yucky first. Yeah, pretty much. You just let them get a little stinky. And that's where you yeah. get that image of, um, you know, especially with uh, Dionysus and Bacchus, um, the, the grape crushing festivals where people would crush grapes underfoot. Um, that was to create red wine. Ah, of yeah. course. Instantly, also something you can do now if you're a rich white person. Yes. Yes. You know, I did always wonder why that was always red wine. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but then after that, um, after primary fermentation, you'll go into uh, cold stabilization. So you'll get it, let it get really cold and you get rid of a bunch of the crystals that, um, crystals? that come out from that. Yeah, wine crystals. Uh, so they're just like little um, bits of like granular stuff. It looks a bit like sediment, but it just makes it taste a bit gross. Um, and so you'll get a little more sediment out of wines that haven't been cooled. And then after that, that's when they take it into casks and barrels uh, and let it age. So these days, um, secondary fermentation can happen in glass, in like wooden barrels, mostly oak, um, or um, sometimes in stainless steel. Um, But in medieval settings, in fantasy settings, you're likely to just put them in wooden casks. So they'll all be cast wine. Um, Good to know. And it ferments during that. And after that, these days, we do what's called blending and fining, so you'll find if it hasn't been uh, fined, your wine will be a lot cloudier. It'll be a lot less consistent. 
um, than the modern wines that we have now. Uh, and that's because in modern wines, you will add um, sub- substances like isinglass, which is uh, collagen found in fish bladders. Of course. Um, gelatin, egg white, bull's blood, charred bones, milk protein. Um, all of that sort of stuff helps... Um, it helps collect all of the sediment that you'll find in your wine, and then they filter it out. Oof, a veritable smorgasbord of wine additives. <laughs> yeah, so you'll find um, only really, back back in the day, only people who were doing that would actually get clear wine. Everyone else's would be really sedimenty and have a lot of stuff in it. Oh, so keep in mind that the wine your players drink will be real gross. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of, before you get clarification, um, beers, ciders, meads, wines, anything that you brew, um, it just won't be as nice. Also, way stronger, because historically alcohol was so strong that it had to be diluted. I mean, wine used to be like Mm. ancient Roman wine is above and beyond anything that we would drink these days. Yeah, um, it was designed to be clean um, because the water wasn't. So it had to be alcoholic enough to at least somewhat disinfect what it was going into. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Now that's a detox. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, again, yeah, it's not like the drinks that we have now. It's a lot cloudier. It won't taste as nice, and that's because it's safe. Um, whereas now, it's nice because we have the technology. And that's because danger is tasty, folks. Um, <laughs> words to live by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as far as like the people that make your wines, um, they're going to be, you know, most people will just be a family business. They'll have a recipe that passed down. If you're making wine or beer and you're trying to make really nice wine or beer that's got lots of good quality control, you've got to be a smart person and you've got to be able to have a very good control over every element of the process. Mm. Uh, so that's something to think about when you actually implement that, you know, the people in your games. Mm. And that's where I pass over to you, Lachlan. Yeah. So um, I guess now we'll just talk about, I guess, how to include it into the game and the sorts of things that you would need to do so. Let's begin. <laughs> so, um, obviously there are people that need to exist in the world for um, alcohol to exist and to be sold and available to players. So you need to have people that are making drinks and delivering drinks and selling drinks and protecting the people that deliver drinks and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, so when you're looking at the people that are making drinks... Uh, especially if they're not people that your characters are going to interact with directly. Um, They don't need to be... Really all you need to work out is sort of what they make, how they make it, and I would suggest probably how they got into it. Mm. Um, Because, I mean, as Danae was kind of alluding to earlier with the accidental invention of beer... Like, most people would have discovered fermentation and its effects accidentally. Yeah. Um, so, like, you could have, uh, for instance, like, dwarves that live in the mountains and have made, like, potent ales and spiced rums and stuff to, like, keep them warm in the depths of, the of like, mountain caverns. Or, like, uh, someone who works in an orchid and notices that when sometimes when animals eat the fruit that falls down at the foot of the trees that's been sitting there for a while, they start to act kind of funny and starts looking into why. Stumbles upon cider. You could have maybe 
uh, tavern makes their own drinks and has been making their own drinks for generations because uh, the dangers of the region, the bandits and the monsters have cut off supply chains and they were forced to learn to make drinks on their own or go out of business. Yeah, and so that's where you'll end up having like family recipes that are closely guarded mm. is when you've had this tradition of, you know, we've had to make our own, you're not having the recipe. Yeah, exactly. Um, stuff that... Cause, and that's another thing, uh, again, that Danae kind of alluded to, is that a lot of these places, especially at the time, would have their own specific drinks that they marketed as, like, this is the thing that you come here to drink. Yes. Um, so they would have been very protective of those drinks and those recipes and stuff because that's essentially the cornerstone of their business. Um, you've also got to remember that, like, when... By the time the players get to the drinks, wherever they may be, they had to have come from somewhere and gotten there somehow. So just, and it's, I guess there's a lot of room for creativity here, but just consider for yourself, where did the drinks come from? Where are they being made and where are they being sold? And who got them between those two places? Are those the same place? Are those places far away? And what would be entailed to get between them? Um, And then just like, where are the where's the party accessing them is are they buying them in a tavern is there like a dedicated liquor store have they stumbled across a monastery that brews that has like an ancient recipe for mead here's a fun one is the drink bottled or casked yeah because buying bottles of beer actually going to be quite difficult because it was casked um i mean bottles of mead or spirits might be a little bit easier Mm. Um, but it always has to be transferred after the fact. So anything carbonated is going to come in a cask. Yeah. And is alcohol in your world a necessity or is it a treat? Yeah, exactly. Is it, it, is it safer the, uh, than water? Yeah. Or is it something that is now seen as like a fun social thing? Yeah. Um, and then when you get into... You've got to remember that like the people that sell drinks sell probably sell those drinks all day, every day. So your party's going to want to ask their opinions. They're going to ask. One, they're going to want to ask their advice on drinks and stuff. So just when you have the party, and when you're intending to have the party encounter someone who's selling stuff like this, just come up with a few general ideas of what they would say when encountered with questions like that. Exactly. Even if they only know the details, or they're only going to advertise the house brew, you should at least know the basics of that. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I think that that kind of goes to everything because. Um, Taverns and monasteries and whatever will probably sell multiple types of either different flavors or different types of drink altogether. Um, and your players are going to want to know before they pick anything what their options are. So just make sure that you have handy sort of a general list of the stuff that you intend for each place to sell, uh, what their prices are, what their how popular they are generally, and what they cost. Because those are the sorts of questions that the players will immediately ask when encountered by a An tavern in, a tavern keep or yeah if it's whatever. a barkeep or you know the local the head of the local family um somebody involved with that brewing process yeah um and then i guess obviously something that's important to consider when dealing with alcohol is alcohol makes people drunk and how do you translate that into a tabletop game And sometimes it could be as easy as every time a player's character takes a drink, they have to take a drink in real life. Or you could have something that's like more mechanics-based if you have a party that doesn't want to get completely hammered every time they play. 
Um, so for instance, uh, there's a bunch of different uh, stuff online. And again, I'm going to try and avoid generally getting too heavy into mechanics. Uh, but for instance, um, I found, and I'll put both of these in the show notes, a couple of Reddit posts. Uh, there's one from a username that goes by Militant Lobster that uh, suggests one of their suggestions for uh, PCs getting drunk is having each time they have a drink have a higher DC that they have to meet. So, for instance, the first drink, you have to make a constitution saving throw of 10, but by the ninth or 10th drink, you're looking at saving throws of... Yeah, like 25, 30, 40. Um, and then what kind have, of constitution do you have to have to reach a, a roll of 40? <laughs> that would have to be in a pretty impressive liver. Um, and then obviously have like the general consequences of drinking like post disadvantage at exhaustion yeah your players slowly start to become worse at what they're doing and then eventually um if players drink enough you can have them full unconscious or even black out and then wake up somewhere with something that's happened that they can't explain like they wake up in prison or mm. something yeah or their coin pouch is gone yeah or fun one for spellcasters take away their material components <laughs> Um, oh, another another idea is uh, maybe having them wake up in like a strange hotel with a big bag of valuables that they've never seen before, or a lusty siren, or, or a, a lusty, lusty siren. siren. Throwback to pirates. <laughs> um, and then the other thing, the only other thing that I would want to talk about is just sort of how you integrate it into the campaign more generally. Yeah, if you want to make it a, a more prominent part of your world. Yeah, so have it be, have, if you want to have alcohol and alcoholic drinks be available to the players, then have them be sold commonly at places like inns and taverns and mm. places that the party will travel. Just give them regular access to it. It's something that's easy to justify in fiction and mm. gives the player kind of a sense of freedom about what they're doing. And Yeah. It might be good to have a, a prominent brand, a prominent brewery that they visited be cropping up at different places in the area. Yeah, maybe maybe this maybe there's the early signs of early feudal franchising. Stores. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I mean that you could have heaps of heaps of quests that had something to do with alcohol. You could have the party supervising or making deliveries. You could have them harvesting ingredients. You could have them developing and creating new recipes. All sorts of different things. If you want to do a fun little skill encounter, you could even have them manage the brewery for a for a spell. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, for instance, and it could link more into maybe bigger quests if you wanted to have it be a more substantial part of your campaign. So, for instance, an example of like a large quest that I, um, that I, that I wrote down is maybe there's a famous drink in, at a bar in a major city that's a big part of that city's tourist appeal, but all of a sudden anyone who drinks it is having these like really strange effects and the brewer enlist the party to investigate and clear their name because they're being blamed for whatever it is that's happening to everyone that drinks drinks that drinks. drink. Yeah. I like that. Could go in all sorts of directions. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, if uh, if that's a, what you've got all prepared, you happy? Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I think in that case, what we might do is all get together and uh, make something of our own and then we'll be back in just a moment to share it with you. What the fuck up is what the fuck is up, party people? Is what I meant to say. 
Wow, someone's out of it too what much. What the fuck mean. up is party people? <laughs> <laughs> you can tell we've been getting into our honey, our bee mead. Um, it's been a fun night. Uh, but now we're going to talk to you a little bit about what we've created. We've made a lovely little scenario, uh, made it a bit open-ended so you can incorporate this into your own games and maybe figure out how it ties into your big band. So we go into the town and the local tavern. Oh, the Boast and Wench. Yep, the Boast and Wench. Danae has been on point with her, you know, women in titles of things. Um, well, you know, I have an appreciation which needs to be shared. <laughs> that's, that's fair. So the Boast and Wench, you know, it's going to be uh, a loud spot. It's going to be a lot of people talking, uh, a lot of people um, potentially trying to find some company for the night. Yeah, we're talking like one of the, one of the biggest taverns and one of the biggest capital cities in the region. Like yeah. this is like a big deal. This is a big deal and there's, there's, prob- there's definitely a brothel attached. There's definitely some wild times to be had here. But um, the tavern keeper, the tavern keeper has an agreement with uh, the local meadery, which is about a day's ride out of town. They've got their own apiary out the back, um, and it's called the Blue Bee Meadery. Yeah, and the Blue Bee offers tastings and tours, and they let you get a little bit of a peek behind the curtain at the process and meet the bees and all sorts of fun stuff. But and so the. Uh, the proprietors of the inn have an agreement that they'll receive meat at a discount if they start advertising for people to, and kind of encouraging people to purchase the meat and go on these tours. So at first it's like a really good, it's a really profitable relationship for everyone. And um, one of the fun things about, about the Blue Bee and about their meat is, um, as we mentioned before in the podcast, that they serve blue meat, which is meat that is blue thanks to some lovely little fungal spores. Um, it's happened a couple of times in, in history. In fact, we've had blue honey before, thanks to an old uh, M&M factory. I can't get over that. It's <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it's the just bees just like stole all the sugar from a bunch of old M&Ms and were like, well, I guess, I guess we're going to make blue honey now. And no one could stop them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nobody could stop them. Um, but we've got these, these bees producing blue honey, which makes a blue mead. And funnily enough, because we, we live in a magical fantasy world where we set the rules, this Blue mead is making people just a little bit blue. But, like, that's the gimmick at first, you know? Not emotionally. Just. Oh, yeah. No, No, they're having a great time. As in their skin. Yes. Yeah, physically turn blue. Which seems fine maybe for a a while. And then all of a sudden, people start maybe disappearing from the town. And nobody really knows why at first. But then they realize that the only people that disappeared are the people who had recently and were under the effects of the blue mead. People who currently had that kind of blue tint, and so the Blue Mead Brewery could contract on uh, during could contract the party during a tour of the of the of the meadery. The meadery is that the correct word? Yep, meadery. During a tour of the meadery, could contract the party to investigate and try to clear their name. Yeah, and this could be lots of fun. It could be before or after they've uh, partaken themselves. Mm-hmm. And you can actually end up with a whole bunch of different uh, things that could, could have caused this, um, whether they tie into your big bad or they're just a lovely little side quest. Yeah, so you could have it just be something as simple as something wrong with the area that the mushrooms are cultivated. Like uh, maybe there's some runoff from a, competitor, from a competitor's meadery that just happens to be contaminating it or yeah, maybe intentionally so could be that they haven't properly sterilised their, their brewing equipment. 
But then it could be something connected to maybe the larger story as a whole. Maybe the contamination of the of the mushrooms is a side effect of whatever plan the big bad has been slowly working towards over the course of the campaign so far. And it's just, this may be the thing that, while the actual cause has nothing to do with the meat itself, maybe the thing that gets the party on the right track. Yeah. It uh, could be that something out near the mushrooms is, you know, growing is something evil. There's a, a fiend in the area or some contamination. Yeah, it's really yeah. just just kind of a, a very versatile plot hook. It can be for as big or as small of a quest as you want. Yeah. Um, here's where I put a little plug for another podcast on the network, which is uh, the Hooked podcast, where we get together and create some story hooks out of a, uh, an image and a random word. It's lots of fun. I'd recommend you have a, uh, have a listen if you'd like to incorporate some plot hooks or even just play along at home. Fantastic. Well, um, we have been Dungeon Deep Dive. This has been our, our episode on breweries and brewing. If you would like to make use of anything that we've talked about today in your games, please feel free to contact us um, and pay royalties. That's our intellectual <laughs> property. I'm obviously kidding. Yeah. Um, we love to have a chat and we love to hear any ideas, suggestions, questions you might have. And hey, if you throw us an idea our way that we like, we are more than happy to bring it on the show and discuss it and deep dive it for you. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Anything you're specifically struggling with, shoot it our way and we'll try and take it on. Yep. Um, you can reach us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Dungeon Deep Dive, or you can email us at, at deepdivetnc at gmail.com. And uh, until next time, oh, wow. we need to figure out uh, an ending hook there. See ya, nerds. <laughs> See ya, nerds. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.